one second. I'm going to start recording. Okay. So God, from Nefesh, God re-ensouled herself, itself, himself. And um, so I've been thinking about, I was thinking about that. Like, what is that? What can that mean for us? Because so often um, re-ensouling ourselves can be so, um, can be taken to be such a personal such a personal thing. We're reinstalling ourselves so that um, starting next week, tomorrow, I'm reinstalled again. And and that's that's true. We we do after weeks like this. We really need to re, we really need to nourish and reinstall ourselves. Um, but when God created the world, God saw every day the goodness of the world. Every single day, Tov Tov. This is good. This is good. Tov me od. This is like fantastic, amazing. And then God rested. And God rested. Um, thank you. Yes, I will. Um, I'm going to mute everyone. You can unmute yourselves. Okay. And then God, God rested. And God rested so that God could then recreate the world, bring divinity, bring godliness back into the world for another six days. Because we're, we're told that every day God, God recreates the world. And so what I like to think about for Shabbat is that that's what we're doing too. That we're reinstalling ourselves, not only so that we feel more sturdy and whole and have the healing that we need, but also so that we can reinstall the world with divinity in the creation of the divine so that there is it's not just this going inside shabbat is about going inside to nourish and reinstall ourselves so that tomorrow we can step back into the world and bring our reinstalled selves our ourselves in which we find our divinity within and bring that divinity back into the world so just thought I'd share that little reflection that I was having about Shabbat before we start. So good, good morning, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Kat Zavis, and this is Rabbi Lerner, Michael Lerner. And so um, I sent a link out for those of you who got the email, which is, I'm assuming everyone did, to our prayer book, but I'm also going to share it with you all right now. So we're going to start on page, here we are, what page is this, page six if you have it, but I also, as you can see, I'm sharing it on the screen, and uh, this prayer is um, a prayer that, to which we're giving gratitude, gratitude for awakening, for coming back to life, if you will, we've gone to sleep and now we've returned in case they <clears throat> they haven't been here before how would they find it on their own screen if they wanted um if you want to open up on your own screen if you go to baytikun.org b-e-y-t-t-i-k-k-u-n then the you can see in the middle it says prayer book baytikun prayer book and you can click on it and download it from there i also sent the link out to everyone so hopefully you've got it <sighs> So we like to do this to the tune of Morning is Broken. Modani lefanecha 
By the way, you'll see that um, in the transliteration, it says, uh, and we sang Ruach. Melech is king, and um, we're trying to uh, find other words that are not uh, so um, laden with patriarchal associations. So uh, Ruach means spirit, and it's actually Ruach uh, Hashem, then the, the spirit of God is uh, what they're really referring to there. We don't need the uh, domination version. So there'll be other places in this prayer book where, where the transliteration isn't quite right. And so just want you to understand what we're doing. Great. Thank you. So now um, let's go on and let's just take a moment before we go on and just take a deep breath and take in the fact that today's a new day. <laughs> thank, thank God that we've awakened from our sleepiness, from our dreams, and that we are here for another day. The alternative is, is not so great. So what a blessing that we've been awakened. Is this Elohai high on this page? Yeah. So we're going to sing Elohai Nishama. Some of you probably know it. We don't have the transliteration, but here's the Hebrew. I'm just going to do a little bit of that. And, and this prayer is, is about thanking God for the, the soul that's been placed in us and that it's, that it's pure, that it's been created and fashioned and breathe, breathe into us and, and that it's safeguarded within us. And uh, so they say on Shabbat, you're given a second soul. Um, and so today we get to celebrate our, our souls, if you will. Elohai nishama shinatata bite ho rahi. Elohai nishama shinatata bite ho rahi. Elohai nishama shinatata bite ho. Someday you may take it from me. And return it in some future time. All the time that my soul's within me. I give thanks before you. 
ריבון כל המעשים, ריבון כל המשמעות, ברוך היה שכינה, המחזירה נשמות, נבקרים מתים. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and we're just going to go, this next prayer is um, a prayer of giving gratitude for the miracle of our bodies, our actual physical bodies. So, so the prayers move us from thank God for being alive to thank God for our soul and now thanking God for the miracle of the physical being. And, and, it, and this meditation that I'm going to guide us in can help us become physically um, embodied. So feel yourself if you're sitting, feel yourself really grounded if you can, if your feet can touch the floor so you can feel the earth supporting you. Take some deep breaths. Feel yourself settling into your actual body, your physical being. Let's start with our head. Just give gratitude for our brain and our mind. What a, a miraculous, complex reality <laughs> that exists in our, in our head, which is so small yet so expansive. And, and give gratitude for the unique brain that you have that allows you to be you and experience the world through your own unique being just true of our souls and all aspects of our being it is just you now let's give gratitude for our eyes that allow us to see take in the the universe with its beauty and awe and our ears which allow us to hear birds and each other and song Hear the cries for love and justice, beautiful sounds we can hear with our ears. And our nose, that allows us to breathe in beautiful smells on our walk this morning. Somebody was baking something really yummy. We could smell it. It was so nice. And our mouth and our teeth and our tongues and our gum that allow us to taste such delicious food, allow us to kiss and <laughs> and to swallow our jaws and teeth allow us to chew our food and swallow it through our throats through which we can also talk and sing into our digestive system this vast huge digestive system that allows us to digest all of our food take in the nutrients and energies we need from it and dispose of that which we don't need back up to our hearts, mm -hmm. our loving hearts that allow us to feel the complexities of being alive as a human being, all the complex, diverse emotions. Sometimes we feel them simultaneously. Sometimes we're tugged toward one and then the other. And our heart, which pumps blood throughout our veins and arteries and keeps us going. And what a miraculous thing, because it does it, and we never are really fully aware of it unless we feel our pulse. We're exercising really hard, and it's pumping extra hard. But all day and all night, our heart is working for us. Thank you, heart, for all that you do. 
and for the compassion and empathy you afford us. Mm. In our lungs, oh, oh, miraculous lungs take in the air and turn it into usable oxygen and then breathe it back out into carbon dioxide for the trees, which then take it in and circulate it and breathe it back out for us in this incredible sustaining circle of give and take of life, of giving and receiving. What a beautiful thing in our lungs. I've seen pictures that our lungs are like reflections of the forest. They spread out with these capillaries and arteries and they're just so really beautiful. And may, may our lungs remain clean and clear and breathe with ease particularly during this time of the virus, which is still lingering and in some cases expanding. Move down to our hips and our pelvis and our genitals. Thank God for capacity to feel and experience loving energy in our physical beings. To be able to move our back and our hips, and thank God for our spine, our shoulders. My back has been a little sore this week, so I want to give special gratitude and love to my back to heal my shoulders and our necks. Oh, they do so much work, they hold us up all day long. And our arms and our hands, which allow us to give loving touch. Mm, to feel loving touch and to hug and to lift and to carry and to type and to write with our fingers and our hands and our legs and our knees and our ankles and our feet and our toes that carry us into this world that hold us steady. If we feel our feet on the ground, perhaps we can feel the energy of the earth rising up through us, circulating in us. And if you want, put your hands together and touch your, with your thumb, touch your heart. Sit up really straight or stand up really straight and bow your head down to your heart. As an act of humility so that our heart can guide our head. So that our thoughts and our actions are guided with the loving, compassionate energy that pulsates through our heart. And may that energy spread through the world. Thank you, God, for this incredible physical being. What a miraculous, miraculous life it is. Amen. And when you're ready, you can lift your head up and slowly open your eyes to return. So now we're going to do morning blessings. And so we're going to shift to this screen. And you do not have these, but I will try to remember to load these up for next time. But I'll do the beginning in Hebrew and we'll do the second part in English, the transliteration is there. So please, if you're comfortable and would like to join with me, these are the morning blessings that allow us to expand beyond our personal beings into the larger universe. So like we're moving from the personal to the expansive being of being a, a, a ensouled God being in the larger world. 
Ja, is dat. Who has given our people, Israel, who has given our people responsibility to love the stranger and pursue justice for all. Amen. Who awakens our consciousness to see beyond our inner selves. Amen. Who has made me in your image, giving me the capacity to partner with you to transform the world. Who has made me free, so I can help others become more truly free as well. Who opens the eyes of the blind and helps us see what we must do. Amen. Who calls us to provide resources to those in need. Amen. Who releases the imprisoned and releases us from our own prisons of fear so we can see our complicity in the suffering of Palestinians and partner with them to support their liberation. And I'll add today in the suffering of all peoples and partner with Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement so we can support them in their liberation as well. Amen. Who moves us beyond our constricted limitations giving us the capacity to stretch beyond our comfort zones, of which we're doing quite a lot right now. Who stretches the earth over the waters and gives us a solid foundation in times of uncertainty. Who creates abundantly and rouses us to meet others' needs. Amen. Who guides our karmic path and calls us to pray with our feet. Amen. Who girds all God wrestlers with the strength to speak truth to power and challenge injustice. Amen. Who crowns me with the capacity to see beauty in the world and in all beings. Who gives strength to the weary <laughs> so we can recommit and return again and again to work for peace and justice. Amen. And let us say together, Amen. Do you see the uh, Beta Kun prayer book again, Blessed the Body? Or do you still see the other? No, you don't. Okay. So I need to stop and restart. Sorry about that. Okay, now you see it, yeah?
Great. Okay. I'm just scrolling down. I'll tell you what page in a minute. Where are we? I'm going to go to page 15, <clears throat> just do a short <clears throat> psalm reading in English, though. And, we'll, and then there's beautiful um, singing that goes along with this. Source of cosmic multiplicity, happiness abounds in the confident human, fount of transformation, responsive force to those who yearn for change. Transform your peoples, bless your inheritance, lift us beyond our smallness of vision to that of the vast. Transform your peoples, bless your inheritance, lift us beyond our smallness of vision to that of the vast. Transform your peoples, bless your inheritance, lift us beyond our smallness of vision to that of the vast. Our souls so long for the spiritual, it uplifts and guides, it, guides us. In it, we find our heart's joy because we are confident in the ultimate wholeness. We are looking for a vision of tender kindness, following guidance with yearning intuition, a vision of our place in your plan, a taste of completeness. Shine your attention on us and support us in our chosen paths that we may fulfill your best vision for our world. I am your God and guide who extricates you from the difficult places in your lives. Open the pores of your being and I will enter therein. Mm -hmm. Open your mouth and my spirit will fill it. Oh, may it be so. Mm -hmm. Happy is a nation thus spoken to. Happy is a people who recognizes its path to the divine. And I, for my part, trust in your kindness. My heart will rejoice in serving your plan. My heart will sing to the one who completes it with love. Amen. I want to encourage you. I'm, I'm skipping over because I want to uh, make sure we have time for a lot of other things. But I want to invite you to take time and um, enjoy this beautiful prayer book. Um, there's so many incredible blessings. I'm just going to jump now to this. This whole psalm is one of my favorites, but we're going to jump to this one song and then we'll read just the end of it because I love it. So we're on page 16 for those of you who have it. And here it is, of course, on the screen. <sighs> Teach us to treasure our days. Where is it on there? It's right here on the screen. Okay. Teach us to, to treasure each day, so that we open our hearts to your wisdom. Teach us to treasure our days. Teach us to treasure our days. Teach us to treasure each day, 
so, so that we open our hearts to your wisdom. Teach us to treasure our days. Teach us, teach us to treasure our days. So that we open our hearts to your wisdom. Teach us to treasure our days. Return to us. To when? Till we receive comfort. Help us learn to be satisfied with your loving kindness each morning and to rejoice and be happy in all of our remaining days. Show us how to find gladness in the days of our lives so that we can overcome the memories of pain or suffering or the fears that we have carried with us throughout our lives. Let our joy radiate through our beings and may our children and all children experience the radiance that we have finally uncovered in our lives. So may it be so. Mm. May the beauty of the divine power be with us now. May, mm. the, divine, may the divine beauty guide the works of our hands mm. and may our handiwork reflect our connection with the, the divine. divine. There's a blessing you say when you wash your hands and I, I bring this last line into that blessing in English. May the divine beauty guide the works of our hands and may our handiwork reflect our connection with the divine what a world that would be so now we're going to page 21 this is a poem by marge piercy 21 here we go um and and i invite you to you can you'll see it on the screen but i also invite you if you want to just close your eyes and, and take in these incredible poetic words, these images that she creates for us. It's so, so exquisite. <clears throat> when the light, night slides under with the last dimming star and the red sky lightens between the trees and the heron glides tipping heavy wings in the river, when crows stir and cry out their harsh joy, and swift creatures of the night run toward their burrows. And the deer raises her head and sniffs the freshening air. And the shadows grow more distinct and then shorten. Then we rise into the day still clean as snow. The cat washes its paw and greets the day with gratitude. Leviathan salutes, breaching with a column of steam. The hawk turning in the sky cries out a prayer like a knife. We must wonder at the sky now thin as a speckled eggshell that now piles up its boulders of storm to crash down, that now hangs a furry gray belly into the street. Each day we find a new sky and a new earth with which we are trusted like a perfect toy. We are given the salty river of our blood winding through us to remember the sea and our kindred under the waves, the hot pulsing that knocks in our throats, to consider our cousins in the grass and the trees, all bright scattered rivulets of life. We are given the wind within us, the breath to shape into words that seal time, that touch like hands and pierce like bullets, that wake in truth and deceit, sorrow and pity and joy that waste precious air and complaints in lies 
in floating traps for power on the dirty air. <clears throat> Yet holy breath still stretches our lungs to sing. We are given the body, that momentary kibbutz of elements that have belonged to frog and polar bear, corn and oak tree, volcano and glacier. We are lent for a time these minerals in water and a morning every day, a morning to wake up, rejoice, and praise life in our spines, our throats, our knees, our genitals, our brains, our tongues. We are given fire to see against the dark, to think, to read, to study how we are to live, to bank in ourselves against defeat and despair, that cool and muddy our resolves that make us forget what we saw we must do. We are given passion that rise like the sun in our minds with the new day and burn the debris of habit and greed and fear. We stand in the midst of the burning world, primed to burn with compassionate love and justice, to turn inward and see the world that is all of one flesh with us, see under the trash, through the smog, the furry bee in the apple blossom, the trout leaping, the candles our ancestors lit for us. Fill us as the tide rustles the reeds in the marsh. Fill us as the rushing water overflows the pitcher. Fill us as the light fills a room with its dancing. Let the little quarrels of the bones and the snarling of the lesser appetites and the whining of the ego cease. Let silence still us so you may show us your shining, and we can, out of that stillness, rise and praise. And so now, whoops, those of you who have been with us before know we go outside to celebrate and rise and praise. So we invite you to rise and praise where you are, because that's what prayer is sometimes. We have to rise and give praise. And so we're gonna go outside to celebrate the universe. And if you have a window that can access you to the universe, you can be go to there too. We'll show you, we'll show you in a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah, 
We can't hear you. It's very muffled. She, she can't hear us. She took the wrong laptop. Ah. Pat, we can't hear you. I'm 
to hear us the whole time pretty yeah, much yeah. not yeah we would we kept we we kept asking you to unmute <laughs> we we heard you as if you were in another room i had the wrong computer unmuted when i took it outside right right uh, yeah somebody already left because they couldn't hear yeah um so you put it in chat and i wasn't um i wasn't how I was in the prayers, so my bad. You no, know, you, know, you were in the zone. Stuff yeah. happens. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> so let me say it again. We're going into the silent Amidah now for 10 minutes. Pages 36 to 50 if you want to use the prayer book. And if you don't, then you can use the mantra of our community, which is, I am part of the unity of all being, a manifestation of God's love on earth. Again, yeah. I am part of the unity of all being, a manifestation of God's love on earth, or you're welcome to say any prayers you want or sit in silent meditation, and we'll be back here in 10 minutes. And again, I am sorry. Thank you. <laughs>
Aleinu, ve'akol Yisrael, ve'akol Yishmael, ve'akol Yoshvei Tevel. Ose shalom, bimromach, u'yase shalom aleinu, ve'akol Yisrael, ve'akol Yoshvei Tevel. Oh, say shalom, beam, Roma, Puya, say shalom, Aleinu, may I call Israel, may I call Ishmael, may I call Yoshvei Tebel. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're just waiting for Rabbi Learning to come back, and then we'll start the, the Torah study in a minute. Shabbat shalom. Um, we had a little bit of a technical mess up on my end that I'm still recovering from, <laughs> but oh well, that's technology, but here we are, and now you can hear me, thankfully. Um, so my apologies <laughs> to those who were unable to hear us when we were praying outside. I was so into the prayers, I didn't notice that, so, um, but here we are together, and now we can all hear me and hear each other. Um, I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, to say good morning in the chat, your name, where you're from, just to create a, a little community here, because we're all here together. And it's so lovely to see everyone. And um, we will be um, uh, starting with the blessing um, before the I don't have my prayer book in front of me. Uh, the blessing before they, we do the Torah study, and I'll be sharing that on the screen, but you can also access the prayer book. I sent it to everyone in the link. Presumably you got that link, but if you didn't, it's beitikun, B-E-Y-T-T-I-K-K-U-N.org, and then you can just click on prayer book on that homepage. And then for the um, Parsha, we're going to be looking at... Um, Numbers uh, chapter eight. We're going to start Numbers chapter eight, sentence one, and you can go to Safaria, S E S E F A R I A dot org, but I also will be sharing it. And I also put that in the email that we sent out to folks too. So hopefully you got that. And I see that people are putting where you're from. It's so fun. Awesome. Quebec. Nice. Ah, oh, Brooklyn, Mass. I used to live there when I was in law school. Toronto, Toronto, California, California. Uh, Manhattan near Ramamu. Welcome, Rachel. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm just going to put everyone on mute so we don't have echo. Um, you know. And there we go. <clears throat> Let's see. So prayer book. Ah, I told them. I told them what. But I'm going to share it. So we're good. You want to start with the blessings before page sixty-nine. Page sixty-nine, and I'll share that in one minute. My dog is wanting my attention. I'm knocking my arms. Mm -mm. 
68 or 69? 69? Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. 69. Let me share that with you all. Share screen. There you go. <clears throat> what are you looking for? Number of people here. Do you see? Just start. <laughs> Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher machar banu im kohanim, Benatan lanu et torato, Ruch ha'iyash shekhinanu tenev ha'torah. The screen? Yeah, let's get to the, uh, let's see. Okay. No, by uh, numbers one, right? Eight, chapter eight, number one. Chapter eight, number one. And I think okay. the first little reading, I'm, I'm just going to read. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So, okay. Hashem spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say, um, uh, say to him, when you uh, kindle the, the lamps toward the face of uh, the menorah, shall, shall the uh, seven lamps cast light. And Aaron did so uh, toward the face of the uh, menorah. He kindled the, its candles as, uh, um, as commanded M Moses. So, um, so this chapter, this reading is called Beha Lotcha, and um, the uh, whereas the translation that says kindle the uh, kindle the, the lights is one possible one. The one that they're looking at says mounted the lamps. So yeah, you know. but um, the word Beha Lotcha has often been translated as lift up the light, lift up the lift up the the energy, the goodness of um, the. <clears throat> the capacity of us to see the goodness in the world, lift up the light that, so that we, not just Aaron, okay, but all of us have a charge <clears throat> to lift up the light. <clears throat> now it's true that this was given to, to um, Aaron and to his, um, and to his tribe, the, the Levites. And um, so, um, there's a, uh, a question that arises as to um, why did they get this privilege? Um, well, the, the, the uh, commentators say because <clears throat> the Levites were the ones who did not participate in the building of the golden calf. In other words, that they, they were pure from that, they were clean from that, and because of that, they deserved a special reward. And the reward is, to be the pre the priests and in the priest and what is a priest? Well, um, on this uh, um, midrashic interpretation, not literal interpretation, um, the priest is the one who lifts up the light, who <clears throat> who helps others lift up the light in in themselves and in the surrounding world. So um, 
uh, and this gets back to a um, uh, an earlier sentence just in in the uh, chapter on Yitro, just before the giving of the of the um, the ten speech acts, or that got called ten commandments, but they're actually speech acts, not um, that um, where it says that you shall be a, a nation of priests and a holy people. So there's a tension <clears throat> that runs through the Torah between the notion that that can be assigned to a particular tribe and the, um, and the more expansive notion that appears uh, in, in the um, Shemot, in, in the um, book of Exodus, that says, no, you will be a, you will be a people that is a holy people and a, um, a lifter of the a lifter up of the light of the world to others as well as to yourself. Now, <clears throat> this tension um, has has persisted throughout uh, Jewish history because after the temple was destroyed and the priests didn't have the particular function or the the tribe of uh, of, Le of Levi didn't have the particular function of helping in the in the sanctuary in the temple um, the question was <clears throat> what should they continue to do and uh, the uh, the answer that was given by the rabbis was well you can get the first aliyah you can be, you 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 folks can get the first uh, um, well that's a nice little um, symbolic something or other right symbolic honor but on the other hand um, quite quite a bit less than being at the center of the um, of the reality, um, why not? <clears throat> and the answer that was, <clears throat> pardon me, that has been given by many is um, because the priests actually, while they were good at uh, you know uh, making um, uh, lamb chops for God, and uh, you know in the temple with the sacrifices and so forth, um, they actually didn't do anything that was lifting up the lights. They had, they had become pretty much like everyone else. And so the, um, the lifting up the lights that was given to them in this, in this chapter, the lifting up of the light, the kindling, okay, we can say it in their, their terms, kindling the light in all of us and the rest of the population, they weren't doing so great at. Well, this is not to put down the Levites, because the destruction of the temple is said um, was caused by the entire people not living, uh, lifting up the lights. Okay, how could this happen? Well, we're seeing it again. <laughs> we're seeing it again in this current historical moment um, when um, our people are not entirely lifting up the lights. Some are, some aren't. Um, I imagine that many of you, if I knew your lives more, I would say you are also lifters up of the light. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm very happy to be the rabbi of Beit Tikkun, where we attract many of the people who are lifting up the lights. However, when we look at the state of Israel, uh, not so much, not so much uh, when they're um, now in intense preparation to take over the West Bank, uh, another part of the West Bank and in, annex it to Israel. I wouldn't say this is not really lifting up the lights. So um, it's actually doing the opposite. It's uh, creating tsuris for a lot of people, heartache and pain and robbing people of their lands and so forth. So um, 
Um, now, how come? And the answer is because we've been a traumatized people and a people that, like others, are um, in a variety of ways screwed up. Okay? Um, there's, um, I sometimes uh, um, people ask me, you know, I went to the movement, I thought I got involved in the left in some way, I went to meetings, I became an activist, but I got disappointed, I got um, disillusioned. Why? Because the people that I met when were um, petty, they were fighting amongst themselves, they weren't, they didn't have that spirit, spirit of lifting up the lights, they didn't have that energy. You know, they were somewhat screwed up. To which I say, um, and I hope you remember this line, the reason why you find people on the left screwed up is because there's nobody on the planet who isn't. Nobody, including all of us. <laughs> there's nobody in, in the planet who hasn't been somewhat damaged by living in the kind of world that we live in, being socialized into a world in which looking out for number one and manifesting um, uh, uh, selfishness in order to make sure that you're doing okay at the expense of other people, there's nobody else around. So, um, so it's not that there's something special about the um, people who are activists being somewhat screwed up in at times. What's wonderful about activists is that they're not always that way, that many of us also have another part of us that is striving to build a different kind of world based on love and kindness and generosity. So um, that is what is the abiding uh, value of the Jewish people, that we've had a good quotient of that. We have a good quotient of people who are moving in that direction or have been moving in that direction for the last few thousand years. And it has never really been the entirety of the people. Um, I wasn't around to take a, um, a survey, so I can't tell you the percentages. But I'd say um, a lot of good people here. Um, however, there are also a lot of good people in other peoples, not just the Jewish people, but in every people, there are many, many good, wonderful people. And we're seeing that right now in the streets of this country, when people are going out and taking risks in order to proclaim their sol solidarity with uh, African Americans. So, um, so I want to say, yeah, Lifting up the lights is not something we always do, not something any one of us always does, but um, it's a good invitation here for us to, to do that. And so that's what I like about this Parsha is that, um, that it has both, both that and the manifold ways in which we fail. And one of the reasons why I love Torah is it's not all goody-goody. You know, it's, it's not presenting us like this wonderful people who once we got revelation, um, we got transformed into being <clears throat> the embodiments of our highest values and the highest values that God was trying to com communicate to us. Instead, the Torah is continually presenting our, uh, um, our failures as well as our strengths. And that makes me trust that this text has some truth behind it, some deep truth behind it. Because as I said, there's nobody on the planet who isn't somewhat screwed up. There isn't anybody on the planet. And it's not because we're especially vulnerable to this. It's that um, 
living in worlds of oppression, it's inevitable that everyone who grows up in a world of oppression um, gets uh, affected by it, gets, um, um, gets uh, wounded by it. Uh, and by a world of oppression, I mean a world of, um, of patriarchy, a world of scarce resources or unfair distribution of the resources that are there, and unfair distribution of the wealth that's there. Um, so it's, it, it's not a surprise that um, each of us has some woundedness in it, in us, and, um, and that we are a people who are committed to healing and we are wounded healers. Wounded healers meaning people who themselves have, um, have some limitations. I know at first I had the same reaction that people were having to the movement I had when I uh, started my PhD in um, psychology. Okay, I'm in this uh, uh, program and there are a lot of people seem to me to be in the program because they're thinking they're gonna get therapy out of being in the, in a program to become a therapist. Um, so, um, you know, then I, I, I looked back and said, maybe that's me also, you know? Maybe, maybe all of us are wounded healers, not just other people I see, but all of us. Of course, of course we're going to be that way. So this um, reading this week is a lot about our woundedness as healers. So um, with that as the introduction and uh, important points about this chapter, um, I want to ask you to turn now um, to chapter 11. Um, uh, oh no, actually, actually, start with chapter 10, sentences 29 to 36. Okay. Chapter 10. Chap uh, chapter 10, um, sentences 29 to 36. Uh, okay, I'm getting us there. Okay. Well, is there is there anybody here who'd be willing to read read it from the screen? Um, if you have a if you have a Bible or if you have it's up on the screen. What? I could read it from the screen. Great. Okay. 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 Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel the Midianite. Moses, Wait, stop there. No, I'm going to interrupt you a bunch. I'm going to interrupt you a bunch. So, who is this? Who are they talking about? So, um, the rabbis say that the the mainstream interpretation is that this person is actually Yitro, Jethro, the the um, father of um, uh, of the um, Tipora, Moses's wife's. Um, uh, the, um, father, and he was the priest of Midian, who came, uh, who did not participate in the Exodus, but then came to um, be with Moses for a while in the in the desert. Uh, brought brought his family, brought Zipporah and brought um, uh, and brought the kids, and um, and they stayed. And he was with them for a while, and he gave good advice. For example about telling Moses, don't do, you can't listen to everybody in the, in the appoint other people to be your representatives so that you're not uh, hearing cases of, and complaints from morning to evening every day and having to decide what's right and what's wrong, um, appoint others. 
So, so the rabbis identify this, this person as that person. But continue. <laughs> we are setting out for the place of which the Lord has said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will be generous with you. For right. the Lord... Okay, so, so in other words, look, the, this father is now wanting to leave and Moses is distraught. He doesn't want him to leave and pleads with him to stay. So go ahead. Okay. For the Lord has promised to be generous to Israel. I will not go, he replied to him, but will return to my native land. Mm -hmm. He said, please do not leave us inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness and can be our guide. Mm. So if you, okay. Yeah, keep going. Okay. So if you come with us, we will extend to you the same bounty that the Lord grants us. They marched from the mountain of the Lord a distance of three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord traveled in front of them on that three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. Mm -hmm. And the Lord's cloud kept above them by day as they moved on from camp. Mm -hmm. Keep going. When the ark was set out, was to set out, Moses would say, Advance, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, and may your foes flee before you. Okay, so that that sentence, Kuma Adonai Mesanecha Mipanecha, one that we say. When we open the ark on a, on, a, on a normal day where we're reading the Torah in, in Hebrew, we say those words. Um, so, Kuma, Kuma, Hashem, Viaputsu, Oivecha, Misanecha, Panecha. Now, um, we, um, uh, <coughs> in the Jewish renewal movement, have um, slightly altered the meaning of those words um, because um, uh, it seems like, wait, what are we doing talking about getting rid of our enemies <laughs> in, uh, at the moment when we're taking out the Torah? Like, what? So, um, so instead, um, we, we read this, uh, these words, that those, um, the, the negative parts of um, of people, the negativity inside of us and in everyone. When we're opening um, the ark, we want to chase away all those, uh, all that part of negativity and all the parts of negativity that we've encountered by anybody else. So, um, so that's what it's talking about. When we, um, when we're getting rid of our enemies, it's really the enemies inside of us that keep us from being the highest possible being we can be. Keep reading. <laughs> and when it halted, he would say, Return, O Lord, you who are Israel's myriad of thousands. Mm -hmm. Shuvah and I, um, um, let's see, where is it? Um, uh, Shuvah and I. Oh, yeah, Shuvah and I. Um, no, no. Um, He's just reading this part. It's right here, Michael. No, yeah, so this is how we end the Torah reading. Um, it's the part that uh, the sentences that are used that culminate, there are five sentences, this is one of them, that culminate as we're standing right in front of the ark, putting the Torah back. 
we say this word and another few other words, a few other sentences that end with Hashivenu Hashem Elokeinu Kekedam Renew our days as of old. So, um, in case you wondered where those words came from, in the in the service, it comes straight from here. Keep going. The people took to complaining bitterly before the Lord. The Lord heard and was incensed. A fire of the Lord broke out against them, ravaging the outskirts of the camp. Mm. They keep going. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. Okay, so got, um, so here's an interpretation of, um, you know, that there's that something in nature is happening because... Um, People are constantly complaining. Now, this is not, um, this is a characteristic of our people from then till right now. We're really good complainers. Um, but there's something good about being a complainer, okay? Um, when the world is screwed up, it's important to complain about that. However, when the world is not giving you individually enough satisfaction of your material needs, it may not be so great. So we're going to continue to read the, please continue to read the rest of this chapter. That place would, was named Tabera because a fire of the Lord had broken out against them. Mm-hmm. The riffraff in their midst felt a gluttonous craving. And then the Israelites wept and said, if only we had meat to eat. Okay. So who is this riffraff? Okay. <laughs> in the, in the, um, in the text, it's, um, the the um, the people who were not uh, not Israelites who came out with the Israelites and were part of the uh, part of the community, but uh, as we see pretty soon, um, it's the whole people um, are getting behind this complaint. So who will feed us meat? Okay, <laughs> all they had was manna. Now manna was wonderful, but they didn't. They were tired of it. We want meat. We remember the flesh points, points of Egypt. So keep reading. We remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now our gullets are shriveled. There's nothing at all. Nothing but this mana to look to. Okay. You see, <laughs> can you feel the up, upset? I mean, um, <laughs> I've been on a restricted diet for several months now, and um, um, it's amazing how much my um, uh, I, I've been able through through cat's assistance to have food that has taste. But it wouldn't be very tasty if it didn't have also the leeks and the onions and the garlic and like that. So here are these people they're complaining. They're missing some variety and taste tastes of of food. Uh, So keep going. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and in color it was like bedellium. The people people would go about and gather it, grind it between millstones or pound it in a mortar, boil it in a pot, and make it into cakes. It tasted like rich cream. (laughs) So Having it every day for years. You can imagine that um, people might get a little bored. Okay, keep going. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall upon it. Mm -hmm. Moses heard the people weeping, every clan apart, each person at the entrance of his tent. 
the Lord was very angry, and Moses was distressed. Yeah, God is not a real big fan of meat eating, and not. Um, <clears throat> um, and the story will keep going. It shows that God was not a big fan of this. Didn't really have a lot of compassion for the people complaining. Um, the the commentators say that the the mana tasted like whatever you wanted to taste. It was a little bit like tofu. You could you could um, put all kinds of things into tofu and make it taste a whole variety of different ways. Um, and uh, and the commentators defending God in this say, <clears throat> look, how you tasted it was a function of what you brought to it. You could make it t taste like um, anything that you wanted if you wanted to imagine it being that. But anyway, they, it's like you can make your own reality. It's kind of a problematic message. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're in the desert and you're getting this for free every day, you don't have to do anything but pick it up and then cook it. Um, it's, it's not a bad deal, but it's not a great deal either. So keep going. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not enjoyed your favor, that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I bear them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you have promised an oath to their fathers? Where am I to, where am I to get meat to give to all these people when they whine before me and say, give us meat to eat? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I cannot carry all this, this people by myself for it is too much for me. Okay. Now, now you can imagine this, the, the problem that Moses is having. People are constantly complaining and putting it on him. Now, why did you fail us? You know, why did you bring us out of Egypt? <clears throat> Remember, we're remembering the good food that was in Egypt. We had that. Okay, we were slaves. Okay, we didn't have life control over our lives. But we had some compensation in the way of um, a better set of diet than we're getting here in the, uh, in the wilderness. Okay, so this has often been the situation of, um, of people who are organizers trying to help people get out of various forms of oppression. The very people that they're trying to motivate to get out of that oppression are stuck with the um, seeming rewards, the apparent rewards of being an oppre uh, oppressed and enslaved. And sometimes they've gotten so attached to that life that they can't even imagine moving beyond it. And when they do, as then they read the story, they realize, wait a second, I'm not going to have some of the benefits. It's a little bit like, um, <clears throat> um, to uh, stretch to another reality, like the people who, um, were, um, who are liberal Democrats who said, um, we can't back Bernie because um, that healthcare program may mean that we're going to lose some of the healthcare benefits we had before. Well, that wasn't true about the, the plan, but then they said, yeah, you know, one level of it is if everybody has, um, uh, <clears throat> has this healthcare program, um, then everybody will be going to the doctors. So our doctors won't be so easily accessible to us. Um, and we can, hold on to um, our, um, our, the employment benefit, benefits that we have, that our employer gives us this health care. Well, it didn't take long for God to respond in the same way he's responding here, namely, 
by creating um, a pandemic in which they all got fired from their jobs or laid off from their jobs, and then there's no healthcare anymore. They're relying on the, their employers' goodwill, and their employers didn't have the goodwill. The employers were employing them because what they could get from them. And the second they couldn't get anything from them, they laid them off without any healthcare benefits. So this is a, a way how um, the spiritual energy of the universe, well, let's say, um, deals with people sometimes sending messages with its plagues. Uh, keep going. If you, would, if you would deal thus with me, kill me rather, I beg you, and let me see no more of my wretchedness. Mm -hmm. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of Israel's elders, of whom you have experience as elders and officers of the people, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their place there with you. Mm -hmm. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will draw upon the spirit that is on you, and put it upon them. They shall share the burden of the people with you, and you shall not bear it alone. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you've kept whining before the Lord and saying, if only we had meat to eat. Indeed, we were better off in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two, not even five days or 10 or 20, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. For you have rejected the Lord who is among you by whining before him and saying, oh, why did we ever leave Egypt? <laughs> but Moses said, the people who are with me number 600,000 men, yet you say, I will give them enough meat to eat for a whole month? Could enough flocks and herds be slaughtered to suffice them? Or could all the fish of the sea be gathered for them to suffice them? And the Lord answered Moses, is there a limit to the Lord's power? You shall soon see whether what I've said happens to you or not. Moses went out and reported the words of the Lord to the people. He gathered 70 of the people's elders and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him. He drew upon the spirit that was on him and put it upon the 70 elders and when the spirit rested upon them, they spoke in ecstasy, but did not continue. Mm -hmm. Two men, one named Eldad and the other Medad, had remained in camp, yet the spirit rested upon them. They were among those recorded, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they spoke in ecstasy in the camp. A youth ran out and told Moses, saying, Eldad and Medad are acting the prophet in the camp. Yeah, wait, it says, uh, your translation says a youth ran out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Ha -na -a. What? Hanar. Hanar? That is the, the traditional explanation of who is this Naar, this young one, is Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun. Does it say? Yeah, it says it next. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And Joshua, son of Nun, Moses attended from his youth, spoke up and said, My Lord Moses, restrain them. Mm -hmm. But Moses said to him, Are you wrought up on my account? 
Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord put his spirit upon them. Moses then re-entered the camp together with the elders of Israel. Yeah, let me just say, okay, in any, if anybody is thinking here, well, first of all, this is, of course, was the advice that had been given to him by Jethro in the book of Genesis. Get other people to be hearing their uh, complaints. Not Genesis. But, no, in Exodus. <laughs> Get other people to hear their, hear their complaints and figure out their problems, etc. So, <clears throat> and that's what Jethro or um, uh, Zipporah's father represented, but then he's gone from the camp. And now we get uh, this new, new time in which uh, he's going to share, share um, his uh, a, um, higher vision. But, uh, and so he tries to put it on them. God says, here, you can share it with them. But it turns out that uh, they're not able to hold it for a very long time. And <clears throat> they're still complaining. And um, so um, uh, then two, two uh, of the elders um, start to um, prophesy in the camp and Moses responds and, and uh, Joshua feels like, um, wait, we've got to res restrain these people. You're the, you're the prophet here. Nobody else can really say, say these things in the name of God. And Moses said, says back, um, um, uh, are you being zealous for my sake? Would that the entire people um, were... Um, were able to do this, that the entire people would, um, would uh, prophesy, um, um, could, if they could be prophets. He's wanting some help. Okay, <laughs> so he, yeah, and he's not holding on to the power. See, Joshua is a power man. He's, um, he's somebody who believes in force and uh, power and domination over. And in this moment, Moses doesn't believe in that. And there are other parts of Moses that sometimes do fall back into that pattern. But basically, he doesn't believe, uh, believe in power over. And that's, um, so <clears throat> so he's, uh, he's saying, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be the only one. I thought that maybe this thing that God had suggested with the 70 elders, etc., they would, they would take over, but they haven't done that. So two people are uh, prophesying and they're in, in the camp. I should be jealous about that? No, I, you know, I wish that everybody was like that. I wish that everybody was taking on the responsibility of being co-leaders, okay? So I, I, and I know from my experience in liberal and progressive movements that there are many people who sometimes feel that way, who've given leadership and, the, uh, uh, and people in those movements say, oh, this person is on an ego trip. Whereas when I speak to the people who are, who are being charged with being on an ego trip, they're saying, I wish everybody would take leadership. I want more people to take leadership. I don't know how to get that result. And um, you can say, well, you should offer the training and so forth, but it's not so easy to train, train people to get to the point where they're ready to stand up and teach others in their own name and in the name of the tradition that they've inherited to stand up and say, I'm a representative of this tradition and here's what we need to do in that. It's not easy, and I'm sure any of you who've had involvement in progressive <laughs> movements you know, can see sometimes how hard it is for leaders to find the people that they can hand over the leadership to. So keep going. Um, Moses then re-entered the camp together with the elders of Israel. 
A wind from the Lord started up, swept quail from the sea, and strew them over the camp, about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on that side, all around the camp, and some two cubits deep on the ground. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot of quail there. Okay. Now, the quail's mothers are complaining, but they're not mentioned here. So anyway, they're, they're all gone. They're now being stripped into the camp. Keep going. People set to gathering quail all day, all that day and night, and all the next day. Even he who gathered at least, at least, who gathered least, had 10 homers, and they spread them all around the camp. Mm -hmm. The meat was still between their teeth, nor yet chewed, when the anger of the Lord blazed forth against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. Mm -hmm. The place was named Kibroth Hataba, because the people who had, who had the craving were buried there. Okay, so, so this is this is the thing. Okay, you want you want so much meat? Here, I give you meat till it's coming out of your nostrils. Okay? In other words, what what God is saying here is, um, why don't why can't you be satisfied with enough to sustain yourself? Why do you have to have endless amounts of? Now, I think it's interesting that it's meat because. Um, you know, um, the kosher laws um, do have the effect of limiting very much what meat you can eat. Um, it, it's, it's as if, and some people are interpreting it this way um, in this historical moment, and I think it's a correct interpretation, that God was making a compromise with the people to say, okay, I don't really want you to eat any meat, but if you have to eat meat, I'm going to make it a hassle and a half for you. You're going to have to kill them in a certain way. You're going to only have, have to eat a few, a few animals that, that, you've, um, that you have. You can't go, you can't um, hunt. Hunting is illegal, okay, in, Ju in Judaism. You can't hunt because the only meat you can eat is the meat that is slaughtered in, in such a way that uh, it uh, the least amount of pain and it dies immediately. So, um, so that's what makes it kosher. And, um, and all, so even if you were to find, um, let's say, a, um, an animal that um, you saw wandering around that was kosher in terms of its essence, that it wasn't ruled out, but you shot it with an arrow, um, you couldn't eat it. You, could, you couldn't eat it. It has to be, so in other words, it has to be domesticated. It has to be with you. You have to make sure that it's um, in a variety of ways that, um, it is not suffering when it's killed, or at least as so. Now, of course, this principle has not been taken over by uh, many kosher um, kosher meat uh, factories, and uh, there's been examination of those factories that do things with with the animals that are cruel and make um, a mockery of the intent of um, limiting the pain of animals. So, but what? Yeah. Okay. Who's uh, somebody's got a hand? Jeff, up? you want to unmute yourself and ask? Yeah, uh, Rabbi. Why is it that we're allowed to eat fish no matter how they're slaughtered? Because they suffer tremendously, also. Yeah, I. You know, um, I don't think that Moses had a lot of uh, connection with fish, um, and and so he didn't hear this principle being applied to fish. Um, uh, there were. Um, there wasn't a lot of fishing that was um, available to the 
to the, um, to the Israelites when they were in Egypt. Now they're remembering and saying, oh, we had fish then. But there's no other mention of there being any fish because they were, the, the Israelites were not camped um, near the, the Nile. They were, camped, um, they were camped in this place called Goshen, which was a ways away from where you could get fish. That's the best I can say. I mean, um, there's no reason why afterwards the rabbis didn't extend the kosher principle to fish, yeah. but um, they didn't. And um, um, it's certainly a reasonable question. Now, they might have said, we don't see the sign of the fish suffering in the same way that we see it when an, an, an animal. It's harder. In other words, it may be harder for people to identify um, the suffering of a fish to the suffering of um, a calf, or you know, or a, a cow, or um, uh, or a duck, or something like that. That's possibly um, a, a problem. But I th I I agree with you that um, that it 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 ought to extend to fish as well, and hence to not eating fish. Well, but actually, the un underlying principle was not so much um, to not cause this particular animal to suffer as to not eat animals at all. So um, in the beginning, in, in, the, in the Torah, um, in the, um, when the charge is given to uh, Adam and Eve when they're leaving, when they've been kicked out of, um, of the Garden of Eden, they're given all the fruits and vegetables of the land to eat, not meat. And it's only after after uh, the, the um, human beings have so perverted their nature that God wants to wipe them all out and only keep those who are, um, uh, who are uh, a, a representative sample, two, two of each species that go into the, the ark of uh, Noah's ark, that, um, that after that whole experience, God says, okay, you can, you know, you can, you can also eat meat. Um, but then toward turning to the Jewish people a few generations later says, but it can't be, uh, you have to do it in a certain kind of way. Um, I, I do think that you've got a, a very good point that, um, that now um, uh, when you have these big boat expeditions and you can see the fish suffering, that it's hard to justify eating fish also. Um, but, um, but in any event, that's, uh, that's the best I can do in the way of an answer. Thank you. Um, so now we're going to go to, um, so you get a sense of, um, of God saying, you know, it's like the, the wealth that exists in, uh, in this country in which three people own more wealth than the entire 50% of the 50% the, the of the population. Okay, can you believe that? Three people own more wealth than the bottom 50% of earners and wealth holders have in this country. Okay, so wouldn't we love to see their wealth coming out of their nose in the same way that, that has happened here? Wouldn't we like to see them um, be a more, um, uh, uh, what? Get so sick from it. Get so sick from it that they would, um, that they would realize that they that there was something crazy about their endless desire for more and more and more and more, but the truth is it hasn't yet happened, and it may happen, 
but it may happen as a result of um, the kinds of disasters that we've just seen happen to the Israelites around eating more and more and more um, meat of some sort. So now let's go to um, uh, chapter 12, and let's see what, um, and start with sentence one, yeah. uh, one to 16. One to 16. And go ahead, Jacqueline, you ready? Okay. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. He married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? The Lord heard it. Now Moses was a very humble man, more so than any other man on earth. Suddenly the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stopped at the entrance of the tent, and called out, Aaron and Miriam. The two of them came forward. And he said, Hear these, my words. When a prophet of the Lord arises among you, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is trusted throughout my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, plainly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the likeness of the Lord. How then did you not shrink from speaking against my servant Moses? Still incensed with them, the Lord departed. As the cloud withdrew from the tent, there was Miriam, stricken with snow-white scales. When Aaron turned toward Miriam, he saw that she was stricken with scales. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, account not to us the sin which we committed in our folly. Let her not be as one dead who emerges from this, his mother's womb with half his flesh eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Oh, God, pray, heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father spat in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp for seven days, and then let her be readmitted. So Miriam was shut out of camp seven days, and the people did not march on until Miriam was admit, readmitted. After that, the people set out from Hazarot and encamped in the wilderness of Paran. Yes, okay, great. Stop sharing. You're not going to yeah. read anymore, right? What? You're not going to read anymore, right? No, but I'm going to talk some more. Okay. No, I know. I just want to talk yeah. Okay, so um, the rabbis um, use, this is a very peculiar event here, and there's going to be lots to talk about in it. So I'm going to um, riff on it for a little while, then we're going to go into small groups to talk to each other about it, your reactions, and then we'll come back and talk together. So, um, first of all, the rabbis... Thank you, Jacqueline, for your yeah, beautiful reading. Great reading, thank you. Um, so, um, so the rabbis say, use this as the classical source for their prohibition against Lashon Hara, evil language, negative language towards putting down other people. And um, uh, it's, it's um, there are whole sections of, of Talmud that are di um, directed to this and it, the punishment for Lashon Hara. Lashon means tongue and hara, the evil tongue. Okay, um, you, uh, so um, the basic principle is 
don't put other people down. Don't spread negative stories about other people. It's a bad thing to do. The rabbis go on to say um, that it is, um, um, it, it, it actually can lead to, to killing other people. You say things about other people and they can, um, they can actually get killed for um, the negativity that they hear about such and such a person. Um, so we can see this a little bit in the, um, the movement of right-wingers who are, who are saying, um, uh, why, is, why is this country in such a mess? And then they point to um, uh, various liberals and say, that person did it. And they, particularly um, the most anti-Semitic of them, um, have stories that it's, uh, what's the name of the, the Eastern European, the philanthropist from Eastern Europe. Or, Soros. Soros. Or, yeah, George Soros. Okay. Now I know Soros. He's not a great guy, <laughs> but he's not responsible for what's going on, going on in the country. Um, uh, and uh, ditto. Um, they point to other Jews often, right? It's right straight out of a um, uh, the Nazi play, playbook of how you get support for um, yourself is by putting down Jews or putting down somebody. But um, yes, this can lead to mur murder. In fact, um, uh, a version of that happened with the killings in Pittsburgh. Remember that? A year ago, there, there were, um, uh, this guy goes into a, a, a synagogue in Pittsburgh and kills a, a number of people. Um, you remember that? It's still in your mind. It's so many other things have happened since, right? But okay, so what? So they ask him why, and he says, "Well, you know, um, uh, these people. I read that these people are um, are bringing in the uh, um, asylum seekers and immigrants, and they're ruining our our society." Okay, somebody taught him that. He read it in one of the you know on, on online with one of the communicators of hatred towards Jews. Um, so yes, literally, uh, negative speech can lead to murder and has led to murder and will lead to murder again and again and again. And so when people, uh, you know, I know many people, my, um, including many of my friends, who look at what Trump is saying and they laugh at this, it's so ridiculous, it's so transparently false. Um, who could take it seriously? Well, the answer is about 47% of the population <laughs> does take it seriously. And um, it's a very sad reality that, um, that the hate that comes from him is taken seriously by other people. So, um, so the commandment to not engage in negative speech is really central to, uh, to Judaism. And negative speech can also destroy a community. Um, it can destroy a social change movement. Um, uh, let me give an example of my experience with that. Um, um, what if they're, um, um, well, I had this experience directly. Um, I was the or organizer of a big demonstration in Seattle that turned violent when, um, when the police attacked the demonstrators and started shooting tear gas at them, the, many of the demonstrators started to run away and the police followed them and kept on shooting tear gas until the, almost the entire 
workforce of downtown Seattle had to go home because they couldn't because the tear gas was going up <laughs> into the buildings. What? That's happening now in Seattle, or it was until they banned it. Okay, that same thing was happening again in Seattle. Yeah. But okay, yeah. but I, this is my personal experience. No, I know. Okay, so the next, so I, so I was the leader that was acknowledged as the leader by most people because I would, I was the one who had, whatever. I'm not gonna say say why, but I was the leader, and the press came to me almost immediately. Said, "Can you comment on this? Do you think this is right?" And I said, "No, I regret." the destruction of property that is happening in Seattle as people, as some of our demonstrators running away, were throwing, uh, throwing things at, um, throwing rocks at the, um, um, uh, at the windows that they went past or smashing car windows or whatever. So um, I said, I regret that. However, the amount of destruction of property today is tiny compared to the amount of destruction of human life that is happening this same day by the US Army in Vietnam, which is part of what we were protesting. We were protesting racism and we were protesting the war in Vietnam. And this is part of what we were protesting was that. And why don't you ask the people who have the power, how is it that they justify killing so many people and instead encourage the media to focus on us breaking windows? Um, okay, I just I oppose the breaking of windows. And I'm sorry that we that some of our demonstrators did that, but it's not what we were about, and we were about this larger picture of trying to stop um, bring people to the attention of the war in Vietnam. So the next day, um, we have a meeting of the key organizers. Uh, the key, there were, I mean, let's say the the core group of people. There were about two or three thousand people at our demonstration. 200 of them showed up at this meeting. And at one point, um, some guy gets up and very eloquently uh, uh, says, dressed like a hippie, but with very expensive hippie clothes. But anyway, um, he gets up and says, who gave rap, uh, Professor Lerner, I was the professor of philosophy at the University of Washington at the time, and this trial was called the, um, the Seattle Seven, um, says, who gave Professor Lerner the right to put down our demonstration. Yes, we did, did destroy property and we didn't destroy enough. We should have done a lot more. And, um, and uh, you're abandoning the um, people of color and you're abandoning the people of Vietnam when you put down what we're doing in our demonstrations. Okay, um, a few months later, now I'm on, I, I'm on trial and so forth. And this guy shows up again, oh, only as a, rep, a police, um, a, a, a police person who has been who has been paid to infiltrate our organization and now testifying against us. Okay, in other words, the the claim that um, that there's infiltration from others. I lived personally in my own life in a very direct way in that trial, and I, I have many other stories from the trial to tell you. But that one was so striking about how somebody who is um, provoking people. Now, was he the only one throwing throwing rocks? No, he wasn't. And in the trial, it came out, by the way, that the uh, FBI had brought the rocks to the demonstration because there are no rocks in downtown Seattle. It's all concrete. So the FBI had to bring the rocks there. But anyway, the, um, they, um, uh, the idea that um, negative speech can lead to 
um, terrible consequences and destroy movements. And I've seen it over and over again. Uh, another, so there was a, a then an investigation um, by um, uh, the um, U.S. Senator Church, and um, and it studied. Um, it was called Co uh, COINTELPRO, and it studied the um, the role of um, the FBI in um, in those demonstrations. Not just my demonstration, but in a lot of the demonstrations against the war. And his reports showed that there had been a tremendous amount of infiltration of progressive movements by government agents who, who were provocateurs. But provocateurs were not the only people doing it. It was that the provocateurs, uh, when people are um, running away from police and they're angry and they don't know why they've been attacked, et cetera, because they haven't done anything. Um, so in that state, a provocateur says, well, let's, you know, let's break some of these windows along the way, you know, or whatever. And, other people join in. So it's not only provocateurs who are throwing rocks, it's other people, but they're often um, edged on to do it by negative or hurtful speech. So, um, so you have to be careful about what you say. And I, um, uh, I watched um, as the, um, the new left was really destroyed by people who were continually attacking each other in the movements, and often, often this way, saying, you're not anti-racist enough, you're not anti-war enough, you're not, um, you're not uh, anti-sexism um, uh, enough, you're not, uh, and, um, and people were continually vying for who would be the best in, that, in regard to any of the evils that we had identified, but they were also simultaneously putting down other people. Not just the American public as a whole, um, which you know um, uh, Hillary Clinton managed to do when she says that there are a bunch of um, uh, that fifty percent of them are uh, a bundle of deplorables. That was that that enough. That was in itself enough to have guaranteed the defeat of um, uh, uh, Hillary in that election in twenty sixteen. But it's also a dynamic that goes on in almost every movement that I've ever had connection with in that people are putting each other down. They're saying, you're not good enough at this. You're not, and you, and you haven't done enough on this, uh, on this regard. Um, so, um, and this is showing up today, particularly in regard to a particular um, form of demeaning of other people, which is saying, to every other person around, um, you haven't done enough to renounce your white skin privilege. And um, I have a lot of questions about the wisdom of that, that articulation. It's one thing to say that we want to end those aspects of the structure of our society that, um, that uh, give special privileges to white people and not give the same to people of color. But it's another thing to then personalize that onto individuals and say, you have to give up your white skin privilege and you haven't done enough of it. And so you're filled with white skin privilege. So shut your mouth, don't be passive, have nothing to do with this, um, do, with our demonstrations until you've gotten over all your white skin privilege. It's a, it's, now this is a difficult line uh, um, to walk because 
some people can hear it, hear what I'm saying and say, oh, well, he means he's really being a racist right now. He's saying that he doesn't want to acknowledge that there's some differences in what people have in this society. Um, and that, that, um, that the way that black people are treated, when at least on the street, is a lot worse than the way that white people are treated. Okay, and that's often true. It's not always true, because if you, if you look at the experience of poor whites, you find that poor whites often have that same experience of being beaten up or shot by police. Police don't always only kill black people, they also kill white people. And, um, but in any event, um, it's, a, it's a difficult line to walk without suddenly somebody saying, well, then you're being racist because you don't see how, how much the suffering is. But I, I, I'm gonna get back to this after we, we break. But I wanna ra raise a few other questions about, um, um, uh, about what we've just read. Um, um, and that is, um, was Miriam and Aaron um, being racist when they called off, called up uh, on what um, uh, what Moses um, what what Moses had done in having this relationship with the Kushite women? Now, the Kushite women is is has been understood to mean a black woman, um, and now there's an ambiguity in this whole uh, in the whole story, and it is this. Is the Kushite woman Moses's actual first wife, namely um, Zipporah? Was Zipporah um, an, uh, an African woman? Um, was his, was his um, uh, but if Zipporah was an African woman, then her father was African also. And um, so um, um, nobody had objected to the fact that Moses had wanted him, his, uh, this black man, to be his major, um, his major assistant. And we read earlier in the chapter how he begged them not to go away. I want your advice. I want you to be with them. So Moses there is, um, seems like if, if, if um, Zipporah was the Kushite woman, then, then um, the complaint um, against the Kushite woman seems to be a potentially a racist motivated complaint that, that uh, Miriam, and so one can say, well, Miriam was being racist and God did, God, and this is a, Miriam what? Miriam and Aaron were being racist and this is a, um, a punishment for that racism. However, there's another story that, that is possible and I'm saying this is the thing about Torah is that there's a lot of space, a lot of uh, white space between the words and you don't really know what's going on. So and the, the other interpretation is No. Okay. Now you can hear him. Yeah. 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 Raise your hand if you can hear me now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We don't actually need his computer anymore. His computer is being funky, but now you can hear him on my computer. Well, did you hear anything I said? 
No, no. When did you lose no, it? When did you lose him? About the last, the last few seconds. seconds. You, have to unmute. you have to unmute so we can tell when you lost. Just a little while ago. About okay. the last uh, Janae, can you hear us now? Yes. yes. Okay. Can you tell? Can Can you unmute yourself and tell us? Um, when was the last? Thing when you was heard? the last thing you heard? So we can understand because this computer is doing a little whirly whirly. So we don't know when you lost us. So it was just, unmute and it tell was, us. It was. It was just two minutes. Just unmute yourself. Like a minute. Okay. When not, you said about uh, his wife, the, 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 somebody unmuted yourself. Oh, I see the problem. Hang on. Got it. Okay. Now say. Was it a racist thing to say? Right. Is there another interpretation? Yeah. Right. You were, going, you were about to suggest another interpretation. Okay. That's when you lost right. it. Racism. Right. Okay. So the other interpretation is that um, that Moses was actually having an affair with somebody else, this Cushite woman, and um, and uh, and Miriam was being a uh, um, an anti-sexist defender of of um of Zipporah, moses's first wife and um and saying that this is evil so if that's what was happening then um it's very hard to understand why she would be punished isn't it appropriate to for her to have stood up in that way secondly um there's another problem here why is she being punished and not not uh aaron Aaron was engaged in the same act, and it seems like um, uh, the selecting out of her to be the the one who is uh, um, punished more is a, itself a sexist act. Um, now, um, the uh, uh, commentators responding to that say um, that that um, Miriam was really the first prophetess. She was the per first prophetess. So um, Aaron, we already knew was a scoundrel. He, he, had built the, he had built the golden calf and he had had his punishment of um, uh, that much of the people that worked with him were killed off by Moses and, and his uh, and other in the Levite. Uh, um, so um, maybe Moses had, uh, maybe he had, been punished enough, um, particularly, and here's where they use a, a, a somewhat of a clincher. They say, Aaron had two of his children killed by the fire of the intensity of their commitment. Are you hearing me? Who's, who's? Wait. Is okay, I, now it's okay. Can you hear me now? Yep, now it's okay. Yes, everybody can hear me? Yeah. Just raise your hand if you can hear me. Yeah, they're shaking their heads. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. So, so Aaron had suffered so much from the loss of his two children out of their enthusiasm that God was saying, look, I can't punish this guy anything more. He's had the worst possible punishment that he already has, namely, um, uh, namely the loss of his two children. Uh, what the punishment I'm giving uh, Miriam is only a week of isolation, so that's not such a terrible. That's not. That's not really in the level of punishments that um, are are terrible. To think it over and to recognize that lashon hara is a bad thing. So that's a, a way of defending that um, the the um, uh, the difference in punishment. 
But we could also say, no, the difference in punishment was that reflecting um, the sexism of the book. But wait a second, the sexism of the book, also, this book also has raised up Miriam to be the first prophetess. And, um, uh, and she's, she's really been given tremendous amount of support here. And so have other women, namely the, the daughter of Pharaoh who saves Moses and the, um, and the uh, midwives who reject the, uh, the advances of the Pharaoh to demanding that they kill off the, um, kill off the babies and so forth. So uh, that interpretation is simply a, um, a sexist, um, at least has a counter to it. Um, what about racist though? Um, weren't, were the people being racist in saying, um, in, in saying, why are you with a Kushite woman? Now, if the Kushite woman was um, his own wife, that would definitely seem like it was uh, racism there. Um, uh, and, and the question of why does it say Kushite, Kushite twice there to point out, um, well, what's her punishment? Her punishment is that she becomes white, okay? She becomes white. And for a, a week, she's, she is totally white. Now, um, for reasons that I can talk about later, I think if there's enough time, I wanna say that in Western civilization, although there has been privileges that white people have had, whiteness is actually a curse. It separates us from other people that we need to ally with. And, um, and it, has been, uh, it has been a huge problem that people have bought the notion that they have special privilege by virtue of their whiteness, even though actually most of them are in degraded circumstances and uh, have, terrible, uh, have terrible powerlessness and their powerlessness is very much connected to their whiteness. So um, I say, yes, there are some privileges in quotes, but there's also a lot of, of um, whiteness is also a curse. It's, it's a curse in, uh, in the way that what allows us to make alliances with other people and um, why I have always argued that Jews are not white, um, but uh, we'll go into that more. But what I wanna ask you to do now, I've raised a number of different issues um, and I wanna invite you to talk about any of them or to um, spin off in any direction you want for a while. Oh, you in, want yeah, we're gonna go into breakout groups. There was a request for a two minute break. So um, we'll, we'll add an extra two, we'll put you in your breakout groups and give you two or three minutes to get there. So we'll add that on. So if people need to have a bio break or get something to eat or drink, you have a couple minutes. So you can, you can just, those of you who go right to your breakout groups, you can just start introducing yourselves and then reintroduce yourselves when everyone returns to your breakout groups. But go to the breakout groups so people know you're coming. Okay, is that clear? Great. Okay. And how long will the breakout groups be? Uh, how long do you want them to be? Um, how many about, people do you want? How about three people in 15 minutes? Got it. So we'll give you 18 minutes. But we're coming back and there's gonna be more discussion and we're gonna hear each other. Okay. So I've created the breakout groups. Um, you can unmute yourself on your phone with star six. It'll pop up on your screen. You'll click go to breakout room. If you somehow miss it on the bottom of your screen, you'll then see a place where it says breakout room and then you can click on that. So I'm gonna send you to your rooms. 
<laughs> I'm sending you to your rooms. <laughs> Such power. I never even did that with my kids. Um, okay, and if you're leaving, um, thank you for joining us. I know some folks have to leave before the breakout rooms, and I also know the breakout rooms are such rich opportunities for connection. So we'll give you 18 or so minutes in your breakout rooms, and we'll see you back. What time? Okay. What time is it now? Oh, let me do one other thing in the breakout room. Automatically create. Okay, somehow there's a, oh, options. Okay, breakout rooms will close automatically after 19 minutes. Oh, I can move you to your breakout rooms automatically. Sweet, okay. Excellent. Close, okay, they've been opened. I just I didn't know that that was possible. That's kind of groovy. Philip, do you, do you want to go to your breakout room? Just send them there anyway. I, I do think so. Okay, so hopefully you'll get to your breakout room. Cheryl. Cheryl, did you get kicked out of a room? Can you unmute yourself? You have to unmute. There's a bottom thing on the on your screen. Not just you have to unmute. I can't hear you. Oh, I have to sign off. But thanks for the session. Oh, I have not been there. Thank you for the session. Yeah. Okay. It was great, Rabbi. I just want to tell you, my group's reading your book, and everyone loves it. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. Thank you so much for getting people together to share it. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a great, uh, lot of good information there. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks what issues came up for you that you'd like to discuss or share with other people here and and or um, points that uh, you want to raise to me or to Kat or um, or anything that happened in the in the breakout group or that happened in your mind that you'd like to share so um, the uh, question I was posted what do you mean by Jews are not white people what do I, what, what do I mean by saying Jews are not white people? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it's a long, that's, <clears throat> that's a long one, but I'll, I'll give a short answer. Um, by, um, uh, since white cannot be a, um, simply to be a white person is not simply a matter of color of your skin. Anybody who's spent any time in Israel recognizes that there are Jews who are from China, Jews who are from Persia, Jews who are from Africa, etc. Um, Jews are not just one um, one color. Um, so, but <clears throat> more generally, um, whiteness has is really about um, power, and <clears throat> and um, uh, and so 
Jews, when we came to this country, nobody thought Jews were white. They thought Jews are a different people, a different kind of people. They didn't see us as white. They saw us as Jews, as something completely separate. And it was only uh, after, uh, by the second time of the Second World War, when the United States got involved in fighting fascism in Europe, that um, that they were uh, that the signs on uh, on um, hotels around the country that said "No Jews, No Blacks." Okay, we were we were never accepted as white. Now. At the same time, there were a lot of Jews who were trying to get to be seen as white. And um, that is to say, so what, what did it mean to be white? What it meant to us to be a, um, a beneficiary of the uh, imperialism and class system that exists here. But in truth, we have not been primary, primary beneficiaries of, um, of uh, imperialism for the last at least 1,700 years. So um, you might say Jews, Jews have been striving in some countries, and certainly in the United States, to become white and are now accepted as white by some, but the haters don't accept us as white still today. Um, and, um, and in my view, it's a, uh, a bad strategy. Um, what, what Jews came up with in saying, okay, I want to become seen as white is, I want to cuddle up to the ruling elites of this country. And I'm saying that's a bad thing to do. It's not a good thing. And it puts us in danger because when we were, for example, in Europe and we were, um, and some people, some of the Jews did cuddle up to the ruling elites of, that, uh, of their countries. But whenever things got bad in, uh, economically, then those same people that we were cuddling up to, the ruling classes of those countries, turned on us and said, you know why we're having problems? It's the Jews. So um, to talk about Jews as being white um, is not true for, for many in terms of the actual color of their skin. Actually, I don't see any skins here that are white. It was Miriam who became white. Uh, a lot of us have different hues of colors. Um, but so, um, and it's not true in terms of beneficiaries. So it's only in, in the United States that we've become beneficiaries. A lot of us have been able to make it here on the backs of other groups that were, um, that were even more oppressed or more, more demeaned than Jews. But that's, that is changing very quickly, okay? If you listen to right-wing uh, uh, media or you see what they're saying, um, they don't see us as white, they see us as um, another per, uh, group of color. And I think that that's an identity that we should embrace rather than embrace whiteness um, and, and say, oh, we're really white. Well, in terms of our skin color, some are lighter than others. A lot, a lot in this very room don't look to me to be, you know, they're tan or they're uh, brownish or, the, so white as a description of your skin is not accurate and it's not accurate in terms of our um, class uh, success, except in the United States Mark, where some have. Okay, let's get some other, other people. Mark, go ahead. You need to unmute yourself, Mark. Is it Mark Weinstein? Yeah, I can't unmute him though. You need Mark, to, hang on, you're not unmuted. Mark, you have to unmute. There you go. Hey, can you hear me now? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. 
I agree with what you said, but I think coincident with that, okay, we're not white in terms of a race and all around the world, but for the most part, people of our complexion, we aren't living with what people of visible color are. No, it's and not. That's that. We that, were, that, for most of our history, we were, and it's starting up again. And yeah, but I'm saying, I'm saying now, you know, I, I have encountered anti-Semitism. I've encountered other kinds of discrimination too. But mm -hmm. in general, I don't walk down the street with an awareness of myself as, as different or more vulnerable than other people because okay. I'm, quote, white. Yes. Well, I, I had an experience a couple of years ago where I was a woman for 15 minutes. I had a dog that I protected me, and suddenly I was without him because I left him with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Not that he protected me, but he was a big dog, and um, I just felt, you know, when I was with him, nobody was going to mess, mess with me. Mm -hmm. So I went somewhere and left him for somebody else, and when I walked back home, I felt a layer of vulnerability I didn't feel before when he was with mm -hmm. me, and I thought, so this is what it's like to be a woman. Mm -hmm. You are more vulnerable than a man. Exactly. So, and I thought that. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, and, and so in the same way about, you know, skin point. color, I don't feel the vulnerability that a black person is. I've had one experience like that in my life when I was in Hawaii many years ago, and I was with a bunch of Hawaiians, and they didn't like howlies, okay. whatever that. And okay. I felt trapped in my skin. I felt being disliked because of my, uh, something that was totally unchained. I, that's the one and only time I've had that experience. And But black people have that all the time. That's what they live in. Thank you. I, I certainly you, totally agree, Mark. Uh, that's true. On the other hand, uh, let me tell you my experience. Um, when a lot of Jews came to this country, they started to give up their distinctive forms of dress so that they could no longer be seen as Jews. So recognizing that I had, my grandfather was um, uh, an Orthodox rabbi. And, uh, um, and when, after he uh, died, I thought about maybe becoming out of the closet as Jewish. I didn't actually do that for many decades until, um, until the uh, 1980s. But at the beginning of 1980, after consulting with uh, people in the groups that I was running, who were almost entirely Christian and, and half of whom were African-Americans. And I said, well, what would be a reaction if I started to wear a kippah, you know, this thing? And because um, I'm afraid that it would make you feel less comfortable. Um, they said, well, what is, why are you wearing that? I said, well, it's, it's a tradition to, uh, to, um, uh, say that my ego stops here. It doesn't go any further. That's, that's part of the reason why we do this. So I said, no, you know, the truth is we trust, um, we trust religious people a lot more than we trust psychologists. So, so um, yeah, that won't. All right. So, um, so, all right. So I, I started to do it. The week after I started to do it, I'm walking down the street in Berkeley. Okay. And some guy comes up to me and says, take off the cap, kike, in a very vigilant way. A, a week later, I'm in a car, and somebody's knocking on the car door and saying, get out of town, kike, get out of town. Okay, 
it hasn't happened a lot of times, but it's happened. And the reason it happens is because I am saying, I am showing my Jewishness in a way that is uh, identifiable. You, uh, Mark, don't have something on you that, that a person looks at you and immediately says, Jew, okay? So um, that may be a slight difference that a black person can't escape and that we can escape by giving up a lot of the symbols and actually the behaviors. And that's why a great number of Jews became um, secular. They wanted to give up the, the, the um, vulnerability that people have by being out as Jewish. And, um, uh, you know, there are other reasons besides that. They also wanted to have a better chance of getting jobs and promotions and so forth. But I'm just saying um, that uh, there's a lot under the surface that is not that far under the surface. surface. Okay, other hands, let's see, who else? Uh, so Sharon, I think, and then Joan. I feel that your point about a lot of Jews identifying as secular, a lot has to do with identifying with the social justice message of Judaism that allows us not to connect with ritual observance or with orthodoxy. Uh, I myself was raised as an assimilated secular Jew and became uh, very involved in the women's movement. And for a while, I felt a home there. But when we began to, in the women's movement, identify Jewishly so that there would be Jewish and women's studies programs, it became clear that by identifying ourselves as Jewish, we opened ourselves to a whole slew of anti-Semitic reactions that showed there was a big misapprehension that all Jews were privileged because of the assimilation possibilities that Jewish people who did not identify as Jewish had. And this created a tremendous rift within the National Women's Studies Association to such a point where we had to struggle to have a Jewish women's caucus. It didn't exist at the outset of this organization. Just one other point, uh, when I was teaching in a thoroughly Jewish county of Long Island, Nassau County, at a community college that had a large percentage of Jewish students. We wanted to develop a Jewish studies program, which didn't exist. And most of the Jewish faculty, I'm sad to say, were against that development because they did not want Jewish studies associated with other ethnic studies or gender studies programs. They wanted to be among their different disciplines as closet Jews. Uh, and so we needed to struggle in that way. And I think that as soon as we come out visibly as Jews, which I believe secular Jews should do, to say, where are our values coming from? From our tradition. There is such an ingrained social justice tradition, a universalist view which Judaism projects around the world, that we will unfortunately see the outbreaks also of anti-Semitism. One of the last point, and that is that a good deal of that anti-Semitism is really reflecting 
an anti-Israel position or incorporates that because of what has happened to the leadership in Israel. And, uh, you know, I learned so much from Embracing Israel-Palestine, which you wrote, Rabbi Lerner, that I understood, you know, how that history developed. But it's sad to say that people are afraid of opening themselves up to that type of critique because then we have to discuss what, what can we do. And that's, that's the challenge we have to take. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sharon, Thank you. for that Beautiful. rich story. Yeah. Can I call someone else? Yeah. So Joan, you're on now. You have to unmute though. I can't unmute you. And then Julie, I see your hand raised next. Yeah, it's uh, two questions. One is, um, how do you talk about whiteness if, uh, when you're speaking of converts from European Christianity who become Jew Jewish by conversion? And the second is, how do you talk about it um, when you're talking about people who have one parent who is Jewish and one who's not, and do differentiate between, as Orthodox do, which parent was Jewish? And how does that all fit with whiteness? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't, I, I don't differentiate which parent was Jewish. And, uh, and I welcome people who, um, who had both parents not being Jewish. Uh, I don't believe that there's any reason. I mean, Judaism has always accepted converts and um, the time when it, the, it got uptight about this was when uh, after um, Christianity um, became the state religion around 320 CE um, and um, thereafter the Constant, Constantine um, as the Roman emperor, um, from then on, uh, one country after another started to pass laws that said, if you, uh, as a Jewish community, uh, convert a non-Jew to Judaism, the whole community is going to be expelled from this city. But I'm just asking how you see it in terms of whiteness, Michael. We're talking about being white. Yeah, well, um, how I see it in terms of being white. white. Yeah, are, are converts still white or did they go from being white to being non-white when they became Jews? <laughs> you know, the truth is I haven't thought that one out. Um, I, uh, next week. I, my guess is. That's a good question. My guess I'll come is, back next week and we can okay, talk about it. It depends on how, I think it's, I mean, my in, instinct is to say it would depend on how out they are as Jews. Because if they're depending on the, their, the color of their skin and the color of their skin does, does not look um, slightly Semitic as like most of the people in this I don't either. Do. Come on. No, she doesn't. Okay. No. So I'm just saying I don't, uh, um, to the extent that people are wanting to identify with Judaism, I don't think that they're going to be Jews. I mean, I don't think they're going to be white. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be white. They stop being white. Um, but they, they can still have privileges that white people get in this society. They're not going to get attacked by uh, uh, police as much as, I mean, as long as you've got people, the police attacking um, uh, people of color, uh, primarily um, uh, either uh, African Americans or Latino Americans, there's some, some uh, uh, benefit for not being in those, uh, that, those two categories. I'm saying that the disbenefit of then saying, ah, we have privilege is one that leads people to identify with the ruling elites of this country rather than to fight against them. And I think that that's a terrible mistake. 
for us to be calling people, um, uh, including white people, as automatically um, evil or automatically benefiting. I think that that notion of privilege is deeply misused and it doesn't understand the degree in which our lives have been screwed up by virtue of the non-identification between different uh, ethnic groups. So, um, so the, um, so look, I've, I've gotten several conversations on, on email in the past two weeks from people who I, whom I know to have been extremely active in social change movements and who are telling me I can't participate anymore because when the last time I was in, um, in the social change movement around racism, um, I got called a racist just by virtue of the fact that I have a, a white skin privilege. Um, and, you know, and that white skin privilege is not a real privilege. It's actually, um, a, in my view, a curse. Um, it separates us from our potential allies and it makes us feel like um, we're bad. And the last thing you wanna do if you wanna build a movement is to tell people you're bad by virtue of something that you can't change about yourself. That's, you know, that's what racism used to be understood to be is, hey, you're born in a certain way and you're blamed for, for your birth. But that's exactly what's happening when people are being told that they, are, um, that they have white skin privilege that they have to give up and have no idea how to give it up. So this is why it's important to distinguish between uh, racism as a set of, um, of um, economic and political structures that really need to be changed and racism as an individual fault because, you're, because you um, put down black people. Most people that I know do not put down black people and nevertheless get, get accused of being racism because of the alleged benefits of getting, living in a, this uh, society. And I'm saying, no, that's, um, the racism is in the structures uh, and economic political arrangements of this society that have to be changed. And um, many of you, I hope, will have had a chance to look at my article about what, uh, that's on the tikkun.org website. It's, it's right there. I sent it out to everybody on this list, unless for some reason you're not on my list, getting, getting, um, getting messages. But um, Me? I, what? Me, I'm not on your list? No. I'm on your list. No, he's just, he, I'm saying, don't worry. He's just saying some of you might not be. Feeling. You got all tangented out and you didn't like ever get back to my question, but that's okay. Cause it's almost 1230. You wanted to get your message out. So you segued and tangented, which was by the way, mentioned in our breakout group that you were tangenting. Somebody said all over the place. Because yeah. you never got to talking about people who are, have one white parent and one not white parent, and are they white or not white? And they're, you know. I, I, I'm not the one going around saying who's white, okay? Oh, that's not my job. Let's I, oh, okay. That's, Julie. that's a good answer. Ju Julie? Julie, go ahead. Thank you, Joan. Uh, Julie? Julie, and, here you go. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just want to add to that. Um, you know, in terms of some of the difficulty with like an overly simplistic discourse around privilege, uh, I think that people are talking about the structural issues. And I think it would be a good thing to, you know, to really use this moment to inform people about the, you know, the structural aspects of capitalism itself, some, you know, ways in which it's exploitative towards a lot of different groups, definitely, you know, the 
black people in some of the most extreme ways and race has been used as a as a way to delineate who gets exploited but a lot of white people are also structurally exploited within the you know capitalist system and I think if people can understand those different dimensions, it's easier to, first of all, not alienate a lot of white people who are struggling themselves and this whole kind of screaming at them that they have all this privilege doesn't resonate, you know, and, and then also, you know, can help generate a larger kind of, a larger critique and a larger sense of a new vision. Um, yes. So yes. I think- Good. So, yeah. so what I want to say quickly is, number one, um, that um, the calling of other people, um, people's white privilege and uh, having, you know, white uh, privilege of that sort pushes people away from us and towards the right because they feel like, wait a second, if I'm going to be such a bad guy, you know, if you think of me as less than, then why should I be in your movement if you're, if you're making me feel bad? for something that was a matter of my birth, I can't change. And by the way, you guys in the left, you haven't changed it in the last 50 years of talking about racism. You haven't been able to change it either. So don't blame me for, for this whole structure. I didn't create it and I don't know how to change it and neither do you. Okay, so that, that uh, okay. Uh, um, I wanna continue on for a while until people wanna get off, okay? okay. So, so you call well, okay, now I need to make another okay. point. Uh -huh. Okay, which is I want to invite you, if you haven't read it yet, to go to tikkun.org and read my article on how to overcome the racist, uh, racist structures of the society. It's, uh, it's on the front page, um, down about halfway, and it's, it's called something like... Uh, I'll find it. I'll put it in the chat. Okay. You should read it because it says here, I don't go and say who's getting privilege or not. What I do is say, Here's what we, here are the changes that would be needed in order to have a society that is not based so much on racism. And it has some things about changing the police, but a lot of things about changing the economy in a particular, particular way that would alleviate a lot of the, um, the suffering that people have. Um, okay, so who's next is? Janae. Janae, but also, um, um, okay, Janae. Oh. Was there somebody else before me? Okay, no, well. Anybody. Well, there was well thank you. Thank you, Rabbi, for mentioning the article. I did see it and I started to read it and then I saw how long it was and I didn't have time. So I will go back to it. Thank you. Um, I think what's really important is for people to just understand what white privilege is all about. You know, I hear some people saying, well, all lives matter. Well, of course they do. But until we really can acknowledge that we have privilege because our, you know, because we're, we're, not people of color. Um, I don't know who has watched the movie 13th. I said this in our breakout session, but I think everybody, I think every white person in this country should be obligated to watch that film. It's 1-3-T-H. It's free on Netflix and, and YouTube. And it's very powerful. And it just goes back and it shows the whole history of, of what, what's going on with that. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that it has to come from a place of love. You know, a lot of what's going on right now is just coming from a place of fear. And we just need to find a place, that place of love to come from and, and change this. So 
beautifully said, Antone, and the key is that we in the liberal and progressive world, when we're out in the streets or when we're talking to other people, we can't come from the place of anger and hate. We have to come from the place of love and caring and kindness and talk about a different kind of world. That's what, if, I don't know if you've got to read it yet, my book, love, Revolutionary Love, lays out a, um, a strategy for how that could change the entire discourse all around the world if, um, if we were to do that. Kat does a, t a training on what's called um, uh, a, spirit, uh, a um, prophetic empathy. And in six, she does six weeks of training on Zoom and it has an amazing impact on people. And um, you can sign up for it. It's, uh, it's uh, the next training, I don't know when it is because she's in the middle of the current training, but, it's, um, but if you go to spiritualprogressives.org slash training, you'll, you'll, um, you'll be able to get involved in that. So um, who is? I posted both the link to the article and, um, and the link to the training. Um, so it looks like Milton had a question or a comment. Milton? Yep. We need to, hang on. Okay, go ahead. Now we can hear you. It seems to me that Moses comes from a place of love rather than resentment and anger toward his brother and sister. Mm -hmm. He could have said to them, why are you talking that way? What right do you have to speak that way? How hurtful, etc., etc. But he does not respond that way. And the implication is in that short prayer for his sister, the very brevity, I believe, uh, underscores the depth of feeling. Mm -hmm. He takes a compassionate response. Beautiful. I'd like to have your reaction to Moses' response to his uh, brother and sister's remarks. Well, I think he cares about them very much. And he certainly recognizes that both of them are extremely uh, wonderful people in many respects. Um, and uh, I think that you're right, that prayer, El Na Rafana La, please God, uh, heal her, is a very short and beautiful way. We sing it all the time when we do a prayer for um, healing, which we're about to do when we, as soon as we end this discussion, we'll do a, a, um, a prayer for healing of people and, um, and then uh, close, close it with, uh, a final prayer. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I think, I think you've got a very good point that at this moment, Moses is a much more complicated figure, however. He's, there are times when Moses loses it and uh, uh, goes, gets into anger and whatever, but, um, but mostly, you're right. I think mostly that he, was, that he reflected a great deal of compassion for, um, for the people. And uh, when God was saying he wants to destroy the people, Moses says, no, you, you destroy them. I'm not, I'm not going to, but I'm not going to, don't make me into the new leader. I don't want to be that. I don't want, because God offers him. Um, you can be at a different place in the Torah when it's another one of the many rebellions our people made against, um, against their situation. Uh, um, and God says, well, I'm going to wipe these people out and I'll make a whole new people out of you, Moses. And Moses said, I don't want it. I don't want that. So there's a humility in him. Yeah. And there's also some arrogance at times. Yeah. What can I tell you? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like, Thank you, Mel. Yeah. Um, has, uh, 
Any, anyone, I mean, it's 1238, so you need yeah. to decide what you want to do. I think, I think we should do a final prayer. And uh, so if you, go, if you go back to page um, uh, 69 in our prayer book, we do the, um, the, the blessing right after, after the Torah reading. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Emet V'chayhei Olam Nata Betochenu Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. I go now to the closing of Awet Mishaberach Avotenu Vimotenu Avram Yitzchak V'yakov Sarifka Le'avirachel The Holy One who blessed our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, send a blessing of healing to all the people in need of healing. So we ask you, if there's anybody you're thinking of that needs healing, to please put their names in the chat so that we can all offer a blessing of healing to all of them. And if you want, just also say it out loud. You can also unmute and say it out loud. You can also, yeah. People, so it won't be terrible. Gary yeah. Stevens. Marisha Laru, David Murray, Dolores Wiseman, Chaim Labish, Bain Shaina Simcha, everyone suffering from COVID, all the George George Floyd's family, and all actually families of all the people who've been suffering from police brutality um, in the protests, but also just uh, for being a person of color on the streets, living in our country and in the world, and. Uh, Leonard Kurtz, Stacy Axelrod. Um, Bacha Cohn um, and uh, Malberg. Mm -hmm. Gwen, uh, Gwen Wheel, Florence Zalason, Beth Moorhead. I said it, Michael Lerner. <laughs> Ray. of the universe that makes healing possible. Heal all these people we've mentioned and all other people who are in need of um, a healing at this moment, a healing of body and a healing of soul, and let them return to us fully healed. And let us say, Amen. 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 And then go to um, page, um, let's see what page it is, the closing of it. Here we go. Um, yeah. Wait, yeah, let's keep it on the top. We are the okay. We're going to read together the remember who we really are at the top of this page. We are the outpouring of God's love waiting to be fully expressed. 
we are the platform on which the evolution of consciousness of the universe is about to take its next step toward fuller awareness. We are the universe's best hope for bringing an awareness of unity, interconnection, and interdependence. We are the vehicle through which the world will be healed and repaired. For a brief moment, we have come to consciousness and we get to experience the mystery and wonder of all being. And then we will pass on. While we are here, while we still have life and consciousness, we can praise God and sing the song of all creatures. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, and then down at the bottom of the page. Kiddish for Shabbos uh, noon, and it goes this way. Veshamru Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days you should do all your work and labor. On the seventh day is a Shabbos to God. On it you should do no work. Neither you, nor any member of your family, nor anybody visiting within your gates, nor anybody who works for you, nor any of your animals. For on six days God made heaven and earth, the sea and all this within it. And on the seventh day she rested. 
Therefore, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We started, for those of you who were there at the beginning many hours ago, we started talking about Vayina Fash, which is a re-ensouling. God rested and re-ensouled herself so she could return to recreating the world again and again and bring God's um, divinity, God's loving energy into the world. And so may this day, this time together, re-ensoul us, not only so that we have the stamina as individuals, but so that we can go into the world and create efforts to re-ensoul divinity, God's love into the world itself. Amen. so Thank I you. To see you in two weeks where we're going to do our next Sarah study. And until uh, then, be healthy, avoid, uh, avoid crowds that might be. Um, or wear your mask. Or wear your mask. And, um, yeah, and, Lots of complicated um, choices right now in the world. Yeah. And, Good health to uh, both of you, and many thanks for your insights and for this wonderful Shabbat. Thank you. Many blessings. Thanks for being Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Blessings. <laughs>